Peter Assad, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is a joy to get to look into God's word together this morning. Whenever I come to preach a sermon, I try to hold two things in tension. The first is the scripture, the text. What does it say? What does it mean? I want whatever I say to be true of what the Bible has to say. But secondly, I want to maintain an attention toward the listener. Uh, whether it's a six-year-old or a 16-year-old or a, 16, a 60-year-old, uh, there are different kinds of illustrations you need to use, different kinds of uh, things to be aware of as you consider what the text might have to say to who is listening. So I try to hold those two things in tension, but today's passage feels a little different. Yes, I want to maintain that both the word and the listener matter here, absolutely, but today's message is so deeply personal. It's so viscerally interwoven for my soul personally that I don't know how to possibly preach this message without inserting my own story into it as well. And yet my hope in all of this is to clearly convey the freedom that it has brought me and hopefully as a result can bring for you as well. Because you see, when I was eight years old, I led my first elementary school friend to Jesus. And when I was 11, I stood up before a group of adults, not too dissimilar from this, and shared what God was teaching me in his word. And when I was 17 years old, I delivered my first full-length sermon. And when I was 24 years old, I was asked to become an elder in our little church and then soon after a full-time vocational pastor. And now, a decade later, I stand here before you to present the word of God in this way. And all the while, whenever I'm given an opportunity to speak, both uh, in the times leading up to uh, this kind of an opportunity or in the days and weeks that come out of such a speaking engagement, I struggle internally. Like my insides wrestle and I grapple with this question. Am I doing this for Jesus or am I doing this for me? Am I doing this because I love Jesus? Am I doing this because I want others to love Jesus? Am I doing this because I so desperately want other people to come to see the one that I have come to see and know? Or am I doing it because somehow it benefits me? And this question has plagued me for years. Now, there are all kinds of things that keep us from speaking about Jesus with other people. For some of us, we're afraid. Uh, you know, what will people say? What will people think? And for others, maybe we're ashamed. <laughs> Who am I to get to talk about this Jesus with somebody else? They'll know all the terrible things I've done. They'll see the hypo hypocrisy in my life. Well, in my case, it was a question of, can I really speak about Jesus if there's potentially some self-serving, self-glorifying motivation mixed in there too. I believe that no matter the question or the fear or the shame that may cripple you now as it relates to being someone who talks about Jesus with other people, our text this morning clearly addresses each. And my prayer 
is that you will find the gift and the courage and the hope and the freedom that is found in being able to speak freely of Jesus because our world needs Jesus, doesn't it? My hope is that in the same way that God has done something in my soul to free me from the shackles that I was in, that he will do the same for you this morning because of this very passage. And so with that, let's take a look at it now. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 verses 15 through 18, starting now with verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now the writer here, the apostle Paul, we know is sitting in prison. He says in chains, right? And as he's writing this, apparently the situation in Philippi is something like this. There's two distinct groups of people and they're all talking about Jesus. They all preach Christ, he says, right? They preach Christ. Um, and their underlying motivations, even though their surface level behavior is the same, they're talking about Jesus, something is different underneath. The motivation is different. Some do so out of love. Their heart's in the right place. For them, it's about making known the one that they've come to know, whether it's in a setting like this where someone stands and presents before a group or it's through block parties and service projects or, or maybe it's in a life-on-life -life kind of a way where you're sitting down with somebody over time in relationship. Maybe it's good coffee, but you're talking and slowly helping them get to see who Jesus is. And it's beautiful. And the Apostle Paul is thrilled that there are people doing such a thing. But then there's another group, he tells us, who preach Christ out of selfish ambition. The motives are not pure. They're insincere. They're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Uh, you know, maybe it's in a setting like this where somebody stands and presents, or maybe it's through block parties and service projects, or maybe it's in a life-on-life -life kind of a way over time and relation. Oh, wait a second. The list sounds the same, doesn't it? Some preach Jesus out of love. Some preach Jesus out of selfish ambition. How can they be the same thing? So often we want to wag our fingers at the big TV celebrity megachurch pastor or the humanitarian overseas or whatever it is to question motives. And we want to label, uh, well, they're doing it selfishly and they're doing it selflessly. But Paul gives us no qualifiers here, does he? He simply says, some do it out of love and some not. But sometimes we get a little too caught up trying to figure out who's who. But was that question ever ours to figure out? Hebrews chapter four is very illuminating here. Verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Look at this part. It judges the thoughts and attitudes and motives of the heart. 
Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must all give account. He's saying the word of God is sharp and it's alive. It's able to uh, discern the thoughts and even motivations of the human heart. And one day each of us will give an account to our almighty God for everything we've ever done. Every single action, yes, every single thought, sure, but even every ounce of attitude and motivation for why we did those things, whether they were good or not. But that day isn't today. And the person receiving such clarity on motives isn't me. And it's not you either. And it's nobody else but Jesus Christ alone. But it seems to me that sometimes we find ourselves too busy to share Jesus with other people because we're too busy trying to be Jesus over other people and figuring out what's going on in their heart. When we bother with trying to figure out the motives of this church or that congregation or that movement or this tribe or those Christians, what happens is we get distracted, right? We get distracted from what actually matters. I went for a walk through the woods the other day and I'm just admiring the beauty, the trees, the, everything was just so beautiful and, and I just felt captivated by the moment and I'm feeling the crunch of twigs beneath my feet and, and I'm seeing these little woodland creatures stirring about like it's a thing out of Disney. It's a wonderful moment. But then something happens. As I keep on this path and I'm walking between these incredible trees, I'm suddenly blindsided by a spider web. Like I'm like clotheslined. <laughs> by the thing. I'm just totally caught off guard. And it was this, I'm I'm frantically, I'm like trying to swat the spider that I know is like on me somewhere. You ever been there? Which part of your body seems to find the spider's web first? Yeah, it's not your arm, is it? It's not your leg. It's your face (laughs) every time. But it gets me thinking. God puts something on our face to help us see spider webs, right? So how is it the one part of our body that has eyes on the front to detect oncoming threats of spider webs also happens to be the very same part of the body that finds the spider web first? It's because we're distracted. And this, my friends, is exactly how the devil schemes to thwart the mission of the church. When we get tangled up in the webs of what that church over there is doing or that pastor over there is doing, we miss out on just what God has been trying to do here. Distraction is the devil's tool of choice for getting us off mission by distracting us from who we are what we have been called to do by distracting us with dizzying circumstances or getting our eyes off of where we're supposed to be. Paul says it like this, just a few verses earlier in Philippians 1. We saw this, verse 10. He prays that we would be able to discern what is best, i.e. keep focused on what matters most. But we're focused in on something like determining someone else's motives that was never ours to figure out. We allow ourselves to be distracted from the actual task God has given us. 
and only one person benefits from such a distraction. And that's our enemy. Which is why, to the question of some sharing Jesus out of love and others not, the Apostle Paul dispels it all with these words in verse 18. He says, But what does it matter? Who cares, right? Like, what does it matter? Who cares? Paul goes, the important thing, the only thing, the AKA the best thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Jesus is preached. Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. This doesn't mean that Paul is saying that selfish ambition is not a big deal. He's not saying that. After all, just a little later in this same letter, he's gonna say this in Philippians 2, verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition. (laughs) Like selfish ambition is not okay. He's trying to be very, very clear about that. He's not saying, oh, you wanna grow a church that's really, really great and build a name for yourself? Fine, God's gonna give you the go. No, that's not what he's saying. But here's what he is saying. If you're wondering whether or not somebody else is doing this for the wrong reasons, don't get caught up trying to figure that out. In the end, what matters is that the true gospel of Jesus is being advanced. And I'm saying it that way, true gospel, because of another letter of Paul's, this time what he wrote to the church in Galatia, you can find this in Galatians 1.8, Paul writes this, he says, If we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. The gospel that Paul delivered to them is that Jesus came to save the world. Every single one of us, not based on anything that we do or anything we neglect to do, but simply because of his amazing grace, amen? That is the gospel. Jesus accomplished this in his life and his ministry on earth, namely through the cross and the empty grave. And because Jesus lives, now all who place their faith in him can find life in his name. So Paul's like, listen, If somebody, even if it's us, comes to you with a gospel that is different than that, then you know what? Don't listen to it. Don't fall for it. Don't let it lure you away from the truth. Paul takes this very seriously. So seriously that he spends the rest of the letter to the Galatians talking about why it's very bad that they've let a false gospel in. And it makes me wonder, if Paul gets so worked up over a defective gospel being preached, then why in the world doesn't he seem to care as much about defective preachers with faulty motives, right? And it becomes clear. We're all defective preachers. Like every single one of us, some of us are frightened. Some of us are ashamed. Some of us are broken and faulty with our motives. None of us have arrived, right? We're all still defective preachers, but we are made effective and whole because of the true gospel. And who better to share about the perfect Jesus than imperfect people? 
Before the days of Rogaine, uh, there was a hair loss company by the name of Hair Club for Men. Anybody remember those classic commercials from the 80s? Some kids in the room were like, what's a commercial? <laughs> That's a whole other story. But in a stroke of marketing genius, the president of Hair Club for Men, Cy Sperling, with a full head of hair, holding up a picture of himself with, uh, when he used to be bald, he made this statement, iconic statement. Remember, I'm not only the president, I'm also a client. And you might be thinking, what right does somebody without hair have selling hair product? <laughs> Every right in the world, because it worked for them. What right do you and I have to share this gospel? Every right in the world. Sharing Jesus is literally your birthright, your new birth. Right. We were born into this world a sinner in need of Jesus. We all are. Who better to share about the life-changing reality of who Jesus is than us? We're all defective preachers made effective because of the true gospel's work in our lives. And this truth broke through about a thousand layers in my own soul. Because whether it's preaching or it's songwriting, or it's painting, or parenting, or everything in between, I have forever wrestled with the question of, am I doing this for Jesus, or am I doing this for me? And sometimes it's just so mixed up and mangled together, isn't it? It's nearly impossible to know where one motive begins and the other one ends. And I became so immobilized by this personally that eventually I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? If I can't get my heart right, I don't know that I should ever preach again. And this is part of the reason why I stepped down from pastoral ministry for a self-imposed sabbatical at the end of 2020. I just knew I needed to step out of the public eye for a bit just so I could devote some time toward wrestling this question to the ground of, is it for me or is it for Jesus? And wouldn't you know it, during that time, one day while reading through this letter of Philippians, God grabbed a hold of my heart. Verse 18, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And here's what I realized. It is the father of lies who would rather silence me than my father in heaven. It's not my father in heaven, but the devil himself who would rather I never do or say anything about Jesus ever again because I'm distracted and immobilized by the questions of, am I doing this for Jesus or for me? Paul cuts through the noise and he says, let Jesus be preached even by defective ministers because we're all defective whether you're afraid or you're ashamed or have a tinge of personal gain mixed into it, share Jesus because that's what matters most. And this takes enormous pressure off, doesn't it? Like, do I still have this compulsive vacuum within me that craves for recognition? Yes, I do. And I want it to die. 
but it's gonna be a lifelong battle. And rather than waiting till I achieve perfection and then start talking about Jesus, what if these opportunities to share Jesus are actually the crucible where God can then purge the dross of fear and pride and selfishness? See, I have come to find the pulpit, whether it's a music stand or an opportunity that I have to point to Jesus in any way, I see that as a refiner's fire for me. Because what happens is the pressure is on, right? The heat is turned up. And as that happens, all of these insecurities in my heart start to surface. All this pride and this angst and desire for approval, all of it begins to well up in my heart. And then what I do as it rises up is I say, Lord, forgive me that this still exists in me. Wipe it away, cleanse my heart and help me do this for you. And you can do the same thing. When you're talking with your coworker or a family member and you start to feel that thump, thump, thump in your chest because you know, oh man, this is the perfect opportunity to talk about Jesus and I don't really know if I can do it because I'm afraid. Like if that happens, that opportunity is the very crucible in which the heat of the moment is surfacing all of your fears and all of your anxieties. Why? To disqualify you? No, to purify you to wipe away the dross and prepare you for the next time as well, that you be more pure and holy for each opportunity that presents itself. See, if we wait until we're no longer ashamed or afraid to preach the gospel, then congratulations, we have allowed the devil to neuter us and render us ineffective. But if instead we recognize these moments as moments where Jesus is seeking to refine and purify us, then my goodness, nothing will stop the gospel. Because we're all defective preachers, made effective by the life-changing gospel of Christ. It's our birthright, our new birthright. So will we do it? Will we share? Or will we allow our insecurities and insufficiencies to relegate us as ineffective in advancing the gospel? So to ensure that I'm not allowing the father of lies to have any say in my life anymore, I want to take a second to personally invite you to something special and dear to my heart. It's a concert and it's happening March 12th, which is a week from Saturday, which is insane to me, but a week from Saturday at 630 right here at the Garden City campus. Uh, during my time away from public ministry, as I wrestled with this question of, is it for Jesus? Is it for me? God birthed a project in my wife and my heart called The Story. And it began January 2021 and then started to grow along the way. And by November of last year, we found ourselves in a Nashville studio recording these original songs with a band of musicians who've worked with guys like Casting Crowns and DC Talk and Keith Urban and just an insane opportunity. A lot of you have been a part of helping that happen. Well, March 12th is the album release concert, but really it's a celebration of what God has done over the last year. And so my wife and I want to invite you, Heart of Life Church wants to invite you to be part of it with us, that as a church family, we can celebrate by spending an evening immersed in the beauty of God's story through word, art, and song. And plus, all of the proceeds from the tickets, every single dollar is going toward Togo Medical Mission. 
we're suggesting the donation is five a t- five dollars a ticket. But honestly, whatever amount you want to put in there is up to you. That's fine. We just want us to be able to share in that together. There's an in-person option, and there's also a live stream option if there's anyone that can't join us in person. But we'd love to have you and your family and friends get to share in this evening together. So if you want tickets, there's the What's Happening button on the website, heartoflife.org. And just click on that button. There's a, you'll find this picture there. Click on there, and it'll take you to the ticketing um, location. So what have we seen this morning? When it comes to sharing the gospel with others, some do it out of love for Jesus and others do it for themselves. But in the end, what does it matter? At least Jesus is being shared, even if it's by faulty, imperfect people like us. So for those of us who find ourselves personally ashamed or afraid or wondering if our motivations are right, and we think that those things prohibit us from being effective ministers of the gospel, or we find ourselves distracted trying to figure out what that church is trying to do or this person or whatever it is, what is the antidote for all of that? Well, there's one more piece to verse 18, and then we'll wrap it up. Verse 18, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I rejoice. The antidote, the solution is to rejoice whenever and wherever Jesus is preached. Rejoicing helps our heart in two ways. First, it helps us outwardly. It helps us outwardly because if we ever find ourselves bitterly judging other people, frantically distracted from our own calling because we're wrapped up in what God might be doing in someone else's life, then we regain our focus when we get our eyes off of that situation of the heart motives and instead set our eyes on the fact that Jesus is being preached. That's what matters in the end. We become effective then in sharing Jesus with others in the places he has placed us because we're not looking over there and over there. So rejoice, to rejoice actually protects us from being hardened and bitter because we refocus on the joy that Jesus is being made famous. And secondly, rejoicing helps our hearts inwardly. It helps our hearts inwardly because whenever our hearts are paralyzed by fearful self-examination or shame or otherwise. Learning to rejoice solves that heart issue because it gets our eyes off of ourselves and onto the joy that we get to preach Jesus. Right? Like what kind of amazing turn of events has allowed me to be a minister of the gospel? Has enabled you to be a minister of the gospel? Do you know me? Do you know my life? How dare I get to share the sweet name of Jesus? But I get to, and so do you. And so we get our eyes off of our own crippling fear. And we get our eyes onto the fact that Jesus calls us. And what happens is as we do, this joy wells up in our hearts that the chains that held us down no longer have a hold on us. So the band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing, let it be Jesus once more because that's our prayer, that it would be Jesus. Not me, not fear, not shame, but it would be Jesus. And even when it's not, at least it's Jesus that's preached. But if you're here today and you find yourself feeling anything but uninhibited, joy-filled freedom as it relates to sharing Jesus with others, then I wanna talk to you. I'll be right over here and I would love to speak with you. 
and we can pray together through that. If you're here or you're joining us online or at one of our mission sites, then just shoot me an email, peter at heartoflife.org. Peter at heartoflife.org, same offer stands. And if today you're here and you are experiencing that joy, you are experiencing that sense of wonder and, and gratitude that you get to preach Jesus, then can I tell you something? Lead the charge. Lead the charge. If Jesus is most precious to you, don't keep the good news to yourself. Whisper it in your child's ear. Tell it to your spouse. Earnestly relay it to your friend and you will find that even without the charms of eloquence, we will be more than eloquent for our hearts will speak and our eyes will flash as we speak of his dear love. And your life will be the spark that starts a revival that ripples outward in and through and among us. Let me pray and let's respond. God, would you do this in us? Would you bring about such a revival? Would it start with a reviving individually? Would you revive our hearts? I pray for those in the room even right now, those listening to the sound of my voice. God, those who are joining me in prayer even now, we are desperate for you. And we are asking that your Holy Spirit would purge the dross that remains in us, would purge all the insecurities and the insufficiencies and all the questions and all the, anal- and the analysis paralysis, the, all those things, God, would those things be removed from us that we would be able to speak freely of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Lord, you said nothing would stop your church. That the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And so what is it that you need to do in our hearts, even this morning, God, that would prepare us to be a people who continue to push back the gates of hell? (laughs) These gates, they don't stand against us as some kind of an offensive weaponry. They are on the defense. Hell is retreating, God. Your church is advancing. And would you make us a people, Lord, who passionately, sincerely proclaim your good news. So whatever chains need to be broken this morning, would you do that for your namesake and your glory? Whatever things weigh us down this morning, would you lift them up this morning for your name and your glory? This we ask because we love you, Jesus. Amen.